Thanks for being here, everybody. Um, I'm looking forward to... I'm looking forward to getting through what I'm planning to say and just hearing from y'all. That's my main um, thing tonight. But I figured I would start because so many of us here, well, how many of you have been here um, less than a year, a year or less? time? So a pretty good chunk of us. Okay, well, since community is all about living life with one another and getting to know one another. I figured I'd kind of give you a little bit of my background and my story, how I got here, um, and then kind of briefly talk about how I approach the work that I do here at Grace Point out of that experience. Um, so, so quick, I'll run through it. Um, so I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, in a suburb of Birmingham, grew up Southern Baptist, um, and grew up really loving church. My mother was always the piano player. My dad was always a deacon. I was always in the choir. Um, all the things. We were hyper, hyper involved. We were the family that was there four days a week. Um, and I loved it. I never felt like I was being dragged there by my parents. I felt like I belonged in that place. Um, and so even as I grew out of kind of my childhood faith, my entire life I have loved the local church and spiritual community. I've never lost that love, regardless of kind of my belief structures sort of shifting over time. Um, so, grew up Southern Baptist, went to Belmont University for undergrad, and ended up, started out really wanting to be a Christian artist. <laughs> um, quickly changed my mind two years into that and switched to um, uh, religion the arts program so I ended up getting my bachelor's of arts in religion from Belmont um, went on from there to see my now husband um, his faith completely torn apart by divinity school he went to Yale divinity school and it just completely wrecked his whole spiritual life which was really sad for me to see because at Belmont my spiritual life started to be nurtured in a fun way for me with this academic base, which I never had, obviously, growing up, because as we talked about a couple weeks ago, mind was not friend in the Southern Baptist tradition, really. Um, you don't use your mind. That's sort of the devil's playground in a lot of ways. And so um, so I, I had started to experience an academic sort of undergirding to my faith that was so, um, so enriching for me. And then to see Stephen's totally fall apart because of it. it was pretty heartbreaking but I kind of got a side education from him while he was there um, ended up getting my master's in library and information sciences <laughs> I worked as a children's librarian for a little while and loved it and in fact when we moved back to Nashville and started coming here I was in the process of looking for a library job um, to work with kids specifically when Stan approached me I'd been volunteering with the toddlers for about a year and Stan approached me one day after church and said, hey, we're looking to hire an assistant director of children's ministry, and I think that you should talk to the current director about that. And I did, and after a very long process, <laughs> um, very tedious um, interview your process. Your background check was more complicated than we expected. Oh, oh, <laughs> right. Very shady past. Um, so anyway. We believe in second chances. That's right. <laughs> No, my, um, yeah, anyway, so that's kind of how I landed here. I was weirdly enough not out to work in the church. As much as I loved the church growing up, I was not out to work in a church. Had honestly never thought about it. That was 
likely I didn't think about it because I never saw myself represented as a woman in leadership in church. So that's one thing. But, um, but it was a real, um, it was a really happy accident, I think, in a lot of ways for me to wind up here doing what I'm doing, um, for Stan to see some potential in me somehow working with toddlers. I don't know what you, how, how you saw that or what, what it was specifically you saw, but either way, I'm glad you did. Um, and I love my work here, and it's a really beautiful, um, it's a beautiful space where kind of all of my interests and all of what I think are my skills and abilities are combined. This, I'm pretty equally left brain, right brain, and so there's a lot of um, administrative stuff that's associated with this job, but it's also fun and creative, and I get to use children's literature, and I get to play with kids, which I love. It's my favorite thing. Um, I get to watch them grow and learn. You can literally watch them learn, which is just the greatest thing to me. Anyway, so I love being here, so just know I'm not planning to go anywhere. I love this place, and I love what I do, and I love your kids. Um, so... Uh, to give you kind of an idea of how I go about this job here, um, specifically with, uh, specifically in regard to curriculum for our kids, which has been an interesting challenge <laughs> in the last, um, I'd say, year and a half. Um, so I'm currently writing our curriculum. I've been writing our curriculum since November of last year. I started with an Advent module, just thinking I would do an Advent module because we'd never done Advent, weirdly enough, in children's ministry. And it kind of always been a dream. And so started out with the Advent module and loved it. Like loved writing the curriculum, loved searching for these stories that presented these really beautiful ideas in ways that were made for kids, built for kids were easy to communicate with kids, all these things. Um, and it was fun work because doing theological work with kids forces you to kind of come out of the ether, right? Get out of this sort of um, nebulous, di these, these really complex ideas of who or what God is and how God works in the world and, and all of that. It forces you to dig down beneath all of that to what you actually believe about these things. The, as we say, the addition and subtraction of our faith. And that's what we're doing with our kids. Um, Stan's always said, you know, you don't give, you wouldn't give a first grader um, an algebra problem when they haven't even learned to add and subtract, right? And so the same applies to theological concepts, spiritual concepts. Um, we're doing our best to just give them the basics because they're going to grow, likely they're going to grow beyond whatever we teach them in there, but we're hoping to give them something really beautiful and good to start with. Um, just the basics of that. So I kind of go thematically throughout the year. I just, I, I've been picking a theme every month and um, finding really beautiful stories that communicate those themes and weave in these spiritual ideas of um, God being in all of us and all around us. And by loving ourselves and others, we thus love God and we express God's image in the world by doing those things. And so those things are woven into every lesson we do. Somehow I say a bit of that in every lesson. Um, and I'm also really committed to... Um, developing these lessons in a way that takes into account 
who they are as people developmentally where they are. Because it is not fair, again, to expect our kids to be able to do algebra. It's not fair for me to expect a preschooler um, to be able to understand certain theological concepts when I know that they're not cognitively developmentally there yet. It's not fair. Um, so I, I do my best to respect their personhood as it is. Um, and obviously that shifts over time as they get older. So, um, yes. Trying to think if I wanted to say anything else. Um, no, I will say quickly before I forget. We have tons of, we have tons. There are not tons of books <laughs> for kids. Let me just say that too. There, there is not a lot of work being done in this arena in the progressive Christian conversation for kids. We're, we're so, I think it's because as adults, there's, there's this there's this really lovely wave of adults who are getting to this place of asking all these questions and starting to deconstruct all these things and try to reconstruct. And it seems like so much of that work is looking this way and nobody's looking back here at these little people who are being given nothing or not a lot. Um, and what they are being given is just kind of okay in a lot of ways. Some of the curriculum that's out there. Anyway, um, so I'm also committed to kind of owning my role in that too, just in the larger conversation. Um, I'm, I'm trying to, to find ways to really be a voice to that too, because there just aren't a lot of voices and not that I'm the end all be all or the expert, but, um, I do think I can speak into it. So anyway, but all that said, we have some picture books back here and some like parenting slash adult teacher books that are that are helpful in communicating some of these ideas to our kids and then also for you as parents or if you're teachers, um, really, really lovely books about how to have some of these conversations with kids. Um, yeah, and they're all very encouraging. You're all doing great. I, I, can, I can just tell you that right now. You're all doing great. You're here, you have your kids here. Um, you're willing to let them ask questions and that's kind of the most important part of it. Um, so with that, that was really short, but I don't want to take up all the time because I really do just want to hear from you, um, anything, what your questions are, what your concerns are. If you have questions about how we do this stuff, more specific questions about how we do this work here at Grace Point, but I would love to hear from you what you're struggling with, with your own kids, um, or with your own self. <laughs> I mean, there's some of you here that don't have kids. Um, and it may just be that you're here because you're like, I, don't, I need to kind of know how to do this work for myself, too, I think. So um, I'd love to hear from you. So, oh, uh, Jackson, meh, struggle. Uh, see, abandonment issues. I posted about this the other day. Kids literally have to overcome abandonment issues just to be here. They are amazing human beings, these little people. All right. Uh, so I'm going to open it up at this point, unless y'all have something to say. Um, I'd love to hear from y'all. So just shoot. Do you want us to pass a mic, Rich, to do this? Okay, great. Oh, Alexa's going to pass the mic for us. <laughs> Questions, comments, concerns. This is something I could just, like, word vomit all over the place yeah. about. Drew and I having three small kids and going through a lot of the theological shifts that we've been going through just the past few years. And then it was kind of like afterwards, like, oh, well, how does this affect our parenting? Mm -hmm. Well, how does this affect? And it was kind of an afterthought for us, which 
probably says a lot about where we were at, you know, and what we thought about our kids, that they were an afterthought. But um, coming to the realization of um, everything that we are going through and how that not just affects them, but how that affects 30-year-old them. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, for a long time, um, well, I wouldn't say a long time, I guess a couple years, uh, for our whatever individual reasons, we stopped praying um, before dinner with our kids. We stopped praying before bedtime because for so long it became just a ritual that I thought I had to do because what if they died in the middle of the night and went to hell? So when I, when, when I, um, chuckle, chuckle, oh, chuckle. age of accountability. Oh, oh, right. We had that. You're safe up to a point. I was, I still didn't feel that. So, um, so it was one of those things where for a while we completely didn't do any of that. And for us, I think it was a really healthy spot for us to be in, even though I, I, we, weren't not do, we weren't not doing things out of resentment or bitterness. It was just like, there's just no life there for me um, to just pray over food because, you know, you do it, but yet it's completely horrible food I'm putting in my body. What am I thanking God for? Like this cheeseburger that I'm going to gain weight from? Like, I don't, I didn't quite get all that. So once we started, uh, honestly not doing any of that. Um, and then my son the other night asked Drew when we were going to bed, my oldest, he goes, dad, can we pray before bed? I don't know if, you know, a friend or something said something and Drew was like, no, I don't want to, I don't know. So he didn't know. So he was like, I wonder what to do. And so he said, why don't we talk about the things we, we really love about each other and the things that you like about me and the things that I like about you. So they just started sharing like, what they liked about each other and how you wrestle with me and how you tickle me and how you, you know, do this and how you do that. And so J Drew started sharing with him. the kind, And Drew was like, that was the coolest prayer I've ever had with my kid. And it wasn't, thank you, Jesus, Heavenly Father. So we started doing that now before dinner. We just talk about, hey, what are you, what's going on cool in your day? What are you thankful for? Um, and for us, we had to leave a lot of that stuff to figure out how to make it more pure in our family. So we had to put it all on hold for a while and say, I'm not doing that because it's shallow. Um, and for us, that was a very healthy spot to be in. I don't, not everybody, but that's, that's where we're at. We're kind of picking those things back up now mm -hmm. and going, how do we do that um, with the integrity of, of, of us and not just be shallow? That's what Tillich says, that religious symbols that cease pointing to your ultimate concern. So ultimacy kind of being this idea of the divine or God. So when religious symbols stop for you pointing to that thing, he says they become demonic, but basically they become idols. Like there's, they're useless. They're just symbols. Um, so good religious symbols or practices are those things I think that truly do express and point to what we believe is is the ultimate good or divine, um, or God, however you want to phrase that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I hear that. I, I loved what Melissa did. I don't know how many of you saw, she posted on Facebook a while back about praying with Hutch and Haven. Do you remember what all it said? Yeah, it was basically a similar situation. We hadn't prayed for a long time as a family, and Hutch was getting really fearful at night, like out of nowhere, he started getting fearful. So he said, can we pray tonight? And I took a deep breath and I was like, yes, let me think about what that means for me and for us and our family. So I settled, they're both in the same room right now. 
and trundle beds. And so I was like, okay, let's settle our hearts and our minds and Haven, my inquisitive one. It's like, wait, 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 what does that mean? <laughs> I was like, we focus. Right now we're going to focus, you know, pay attention and focus. And I had them breathe for a minute, which I often have to do. And then I said, let's think about how our bodies deserve rest, how it's the end of the day and it's time to go to sleep and versus you needing to fight this rest where you're struggling with sleeping through the night. Our bodies deserve this. You deserve this right now. And so we think peaceful thoughts and we're reminded of who we are and that we're this lovely human being. Think of all the good you've done today. Um, think of all the good that there's still to be done tomorrow. And let's think about a river. I start talking about a river and we had just been camping. So think about that river that we see and imagine how that river refreshes us. And I said, imagine then all these scary thoughts that we have or fearful thoughts that come into our head. Imagine them like leaves falling on that river and that river carries those leaves and lets them go far, far away. And so you can imagine all those thoughts just being carried away and that that river is peace and calm and that is God and we are wrapped up in all of this. And I said, so we say amen, meaning I agree with this or so be it, or Hutch is very into Star Wars. We're like, may it ever be so, all these yes. lovely things. <laughs> and so they loved it. And we've literally, I don't know when that was, it was early in the summer, and they've asked for it every night. Like, no matter what we do, however we say, they're like, Give, we want the river again. So that was a beautiful way for us to pick back up this practice, but making meaningful um, for us. Within the context of your own conscience, mm -hmm. which is the difficult thing. Brian McLaren and I were talking about six months ago, and there is an epidemic there is an epidemic amongst the children of deconstructing evangelical traditionalists. And it's very similar to the children of hippies in the 60s and 70s. When parents, people born in an evangelical traditional religious system are not taught a really healthy form of differentiation or what psychologists call individuation. We're not allowed to individuate in our teen years because orthodoxy is set and your eternal destiny depends upon believing these things from the time you're five years old. So on religious ideas, we're really not taught differentiation. If at times there is a tacit nod toward, yes, I want you to deconstruct your faith, that was told to me with the caveat, you better dang sure end up back here or the patronizing nod, you will end up back here after you do this. So if individuation is not healthily taught in the teen years, that, that psychological intellectual weaning, if it's not taught in the teen years and not allowed in the 20s, what ends up happening is evangelical traditionalist people end up doing normal differentiation in their late 30s and 40s. The work they could have and should have been doing I'm, I watched my son do work between 13 and 18 that I didn't start doing until I was 32. And it was very normal for him. Well, guess what happens? If you then are doing that teenage work in your 30s and 40s, guess what you have? You have children. And so the epidemic is in our deconstruction, we have very little offer our kids. The kids almost get forgotten in that process. And the one thing we do know in terms of religious ideas, many of us, is we are for sure not going to give them what we got. The tragedy is we end up giving them nothing. And that's a bit of the epidemic now. We, we haven't raised bad kids. We haven't raised, um, you know, traditionalist fear-based kids, but we haven't exactly 
has this generation of deconstructives done the best to give them something? Because we didn't have a lot to give. That's why the thoughtful work of literally a pastor is being engaged by her children to pray. We're not doing that initiating. And even then, on the fly, has to say, how do I do this? I mean, that, that is a state of affairs that we just have to admit. And I think we've admitted that. And nights like this are our conscientious attempt to say we cannot, as Janice said, forget these little ones. This is a big part of the process. And it's a part of the dynamic of what's going on. And since, since you talk to a lot of our kids in our community, I'd love to hear what you think. And I've talked to you a little bit about this. But I have three kids, nine, seven, and seven. One who God and that kind of discussion really doesn't cross his horizon much as he verbalizes it. One who God's this wonderful subject she'll talk about any time. And one who on his, really on his own has developed a, a, a sense that God is active in his life and the good things that happen to him are when he is good and the bad things that happen to him are when he is bad. And just as, um, just as I didn't, just as I wish a certain view of God had not been forced on me when I was a child, I don't want to force on my children my view of God. To, like I want to honor his space even as a child. So, you know, what has been your experience with that and how do we engage our children where they are in their walk even if it's not where we want them to be because yeah. now it's not where we want them to be on the other end right yeah yeah yeah. and, and so like what's mm -hmm. because i want to honor where he is because i tr I, I respect and love him en enough to that wherever he is acting with the divine something's happening there yeah yeah um yes so good. Yeah, Justin emailed me about this the other day. Um, so you're, so the, your son's understanding is that um, he's doing something to cause bad things to happen to him, and God has a role in that. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that there's a way to balance honoring where they are, but also helping them with healthy, uh, healthy ideas and boundaries around the idea of God. Like, I, I mean, just like, um, I don't know, kids need boundaries, period. And, and I think that, um, gosh, I think they need boundaries and I think that they need us to help. I think they need us to come alongside them. And I don't think that always means correcting them and telling them, no, you're wrong. But I do think it means when they, when, when we're walking along a path with them and they fall off the path, we lean down and pick them back up and bring them on the path back with us. And so I think that can look like, um, I mean, I, we talked about this. I think that can look a lot like asking him questions about why he thinks that. Um, and I think we don't do that a lot with our kids because we don't expect their answers to be anything significant or thoughtful. But the thing is, and I was just reading this today, um, kids are not asking questions that they aren't actually seeking answers for. And they're asking the questions because they've really been thinking about this. It's not just off the cuff like, hey, I wonder if God's doing this because I'm bad. He's been processing like, okay, I know, I feel that God is real. I know that God is with me, 
but these bad things are happening. So if God's with me while these bad things are happening, that must mean that God is somehow involved in all of that. And I think just helping him untangle that a little bit is maybe all it would take. Instead of correcting him and saying, no, you're wrong, encourage that inquiry by helping him to untangle it. Um, by asking questions, by just simply having conversations with him. And the thing is, he may still come to the conclusion that, no, nah, you know what, I think, I think that's still what's happening. And the beautiful thing is, he's not going to be seven forever. And he's not always going to think that forever. Um, because children's understandings about God and about the divine come directly from their parents. So much, and, the, and the, the caring adults in their lives. And so as, I think if you can continue to model for him what it looks like to have grace when he does make a mistake, what it looks like to pick him up when he falls, that's what's going to give him a better understanding of the divine, more so than you correct correcting him, him and saying, him, saying that to him. That's what I think. Other questions? Your kids are all so spiritual. Oh, perfect. <laughs> hey, Sydney. Hey. Hello, hello. Am I on? Mm -hmm. um, so this isn't really a question, but I think you t we talked a little, a little bit about death, and I sort of, we have a, a couple of deaths in our family that were really significant um, to our family, and I sort of, Anna reached out to me and sort of gave me some, and I, I asked her, like, what do I do? Like, what do I say at this point? Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily believe in this. I'm not, I don't want to tell her, oh, they're in heaven now and they're okay when that doesn't line up with our belief structure anymore. And so I wonder if we could just talk about, I think that was really valuable what mm -hmm. you shared with me. So I think that would be kind of cool to sort of talk about what do we, how do we talk about death with our kids? Mm -hmm. That's great. Did everybody hear her question? Okay. <clears throat> so I think one thing to always... One thing I love about children's literature is that um, so many of these authors and illustrators tap into the things that kids already sort of intuit. Um, so life cycles, things like that, like birth and life, and like the cycle of a life, kids sort of intuit in a lot of ways, I think. And so the, the idea of death, I don't think has to be a bad thing. And I think that's what I told you that I think one of the most important things potentially to say to our kids about death is that it's not something that you necessarily have to be afraid of. It might feel scary, and that's okay. It's okay to feel scared, and it's certainly okay to feel sad about a death. But it's not necessarily something to be afraid of um, because it's part of life. Everything is born, and everything lives this beautiful life, and then everything has to go beyond that. Um, I don't know. I can't remember what all um, that email said, but no, that's okay. Um, but I think I think um, taking away this fearful stigma of death for kids is going to be huge, and it's really important work, and it's hard to do. Um, but the fact of the matter is our kids are all going to experience death, death of a pet, death of a family member, whatever it may be, and we can't keep making that this scary thing that we don't talk about. Um, we have to engage with it. And and again, it may not be that we know exactly how to engage with it. There may not be a great formula to do it. But to engage it is to engage the spiritual work that your kid should be doing to become a whole person. And that they're already doing as they ask these questions. Um, so to simply engage the conversation is a huge step. Um, but I think to let them know it's okay to be sad, to affirm all of their feelings and questions about it. Um, 
and to take away that stigma of being so afraid of it that you can't talk about it. Because to not be able to talk about that is the worst thing that you could do. I don't know. Other thoughts about that? That was good. Shelly. So I guess one thing that I'm, this is more of a statement of this is where we are as a family and with my kids. Um, hopefully this is a solidarity type thing that as we've de deconstructed as adults and as a couple and as our family, um, obviously our kids are being affected by that and I've got a fifth grader and a second grader. My fifth grader happens to be very intuitive, very, um, he's almost an old soul in the sense of he's very aware of what's happening around him and you know, he's gonna be in middle school next year and as we're continuing to grow, you know, in age, um, what I'm finding is that his intuition is leading him down this path of being very aware of what is the opposite of what he believes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we do our best as a family to talk about this is what we do believe and we're also open to being aware of what others believe and we accept that and everyone's on their own journey. But I guess my concern theologically right now is how do I equip him with some really practical things that he can take with him that are not not combative. I mean, I don't, want, yeah. I don't want him to engage in these debates and we talk a lot about that, but you know, he's, he's to this age to where he's very aware of the, of the people who believe differently. You know, he proudly wears his Grace Point no labels human yes. shirt to, to school. And I, I suspect very soon people will start to make comments. And I guess what I'm concerned with is how do I start to equip him with some very practical ways to, um, I don't know, not get torn down by those very, um, a large number of opposition. And Have <laughs> that makes sense. Have you ever experienced that kind of thing? No, not yet. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think though. I think part of what we're trying to teach Hutch specifically, because Hutch is my 10 year old um, and Haven will come along the way, is that there are different beliefs out there. And so to learn to respect other people and to respect then other kids, um, I feel like if they can get that early, then we'll go far with it versus needing to then defend and then try to convince the other child, which so many of us are unlearning at this point as adults, right? But to give people the respect and the safety to say, hmm, like we talk about that Brian McLaren said so often, hmm, I, just, I, don't, I don't see it that way, <laughs> interesting. I mean, if Hutch could get that now, which Hutch is not gonna be my combative boy, so Michael may be a little more willing. Haven, on the other hand, <laughs> she'll jump right into She's it. She's gonna want specific lines. Yeah, I don't she, see that differently. She, it's not gonna work for Haven. responses. <laughs> yeah, I think affirming difference, it, like, and y'all are already, do, I know y'all are already doing this, um, letting them know, as my professor said today, we access God in all sorts of ways. Hmm. Um, people do all over the world. And I think also, um, if he were to come up against uh, another kid or student who was, who was being ugly about it, um, I, I, think, I think just going back to a simple um, attitude of empathy might just be enough. Mm -hmm. and, and knowing and teaching our kids that when, when people say ugly things or they act in a bad way that they know they shouldn't, um, there's probably something else going on because we're not bad. Um, it may be that they're really scared or they're really sad. Um, 
And that's why kids do a lot of the things they do to one another is because of their own um, fears or struggles at home or whatever it may be. It could be a multitude of things. But I think affirming different, different understandings, knowing that people all over the world access God in different ways, and that's okay. And letting him know that's okay. Um, and the way you're doing it is okay. Um, just be okay with them and, and try to have empathy if they're being ugly and, and know when to walk away from it too, you know. I just had this conversation with Stan Jr. 45 minutes ago, and he's 18. <laughs> yeah. And we were sitting out in front of the YMCA in Maryland Farms, and he said, Dad, did you know? I mean, he's incredulous about this. And, and he's not, I mean, he's, he's not a dumb kid at all. We've just kind of shielded him. This church has shielded a lot of our kids from, from this. He said, did you know there's a whole group that's like this big Christian society at Ravenwood, and they don't think I'm a Christian? We just had this conversation. I said, yeah, I, I, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. I said, how do you, how's that make you feel? And he said, shitty. And I said, and this is an 18-year-old kid. And he was like, wow, is that what you've been going through for the last? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And, and I, he said, man, that's a load, isn't it? I was like, yeah. And I said, you know, you took head and he was like whoa yeah I mean so I, none of us escaped this conversation even with an 18 year old but the empathy the admitting the sadness the fact that it feels crappy the, it's not it's not fun and then it finally led to you know part of the reason I do what I do is I I personally it's just me I think probably at the top of the list of the most damaging things in this on this planet is a fear-based view of God and I believe that our religion is a proponent of that but I also believe in our religion that it has the seeds of reformation to help us evolve out of that and that's why I'm still sticking with this so hang in there it's hard to endure these kids but it's even harder to be these kids so I looked up real fast for you um they bring that up. There's also, I think a lot of ways we can expose uh, different religions to our kids. There's some great resources out there. There's an um, the Usborne Encyclopedia of World Religions that I ordered. Looks like that. I ordered it for Hutch last year. So breaking that out every once in a while and talking about those kinds of things will only help them when they face it in real life. So having transitioned a lot in our understanding and having parents, grandparents, mm -hmm. how do you begin to manage discussions between me and my folks, her, her folks, my, her folks, her, my folks, and oh, you're going to go stay with Nani and Papa this weekend. I wonder how those conversations are going to happen with us gone. My co-fall phrases. Is that a yes? <laughs> <laughs> that like was to? an amen. That was an amen, right? So I'm just interested. My kids are, yeah, anyway, so I'm interested in yeah. You want to add something, Mike? Yeah. Wait, wait for that mic. Mm-hmm. Please. Yeah. I love it. I don't, do I need to? Yep. Yeah, okay, sorry. Um, directly. Like, literally told, my dad is Assembly of God pastor, friends with your dad in the, in the Assembly of God for years and years and years, and still is as Pentecostal as you can possibly be. And 
he pastors a church and they have a Sunday school class and my kids will go down there for a week or two at a time during the year. And I literally told my mom and my dad in their living room that I do not want my kids going to that Sunday school class. I respect what you're doing and I respect the way your faith, but what and but what I don't know is what that volunteer Sunday school person is saying to my kids that could possibly negatively affect them because the shit that I got growing up in the church that you were teaching at has stayed with me. I am 38 years old. And now it doesn't bother me, but I'm saying like I've gone from actually being scared of being pissed and then kind of having empathy for it. And you know what I'm saying? You've gone through these range of emotions. <laughs> and so all because of someone, what someone else was telling me. It wasn't even necessarily what my dad was telling me because, you know, my dad is kind of an open-minded mm-hmm. guy and Stan knows my dad fairly well. Um, but it really wasn't necessarily what he said, but it was what the, the Sunday school people and what my youth pastor was saying. And so back to what you're saying, I was very, very straightforward. And I said, I'm not disrespecting what you believe and I'm not trying to take away from that. I said, and it's not that I don't trust you. And it's not that I don't even, it's not that I don't trust you to talk to my kids about, you know, faith and things like that. I said, I know you're going to respect my views and the fact that I'm their parent and that, that you know how I choose to raise my kids. And so I know that you're not going to go against that. But I don't know that Sunday school lady from Adam's house cat. So I, there's no way that they're going to go. So just on that day, you live, a, you know, you live down the street or whatever, just don't take them. Or just to have them stay home with my mom. That's that's the side. Or keep them in, you know, keep them in church with you. And you know, I, I know if you know, but directly. That's how I did it. We don't even trust my. I don't even trust my parents. I don't trust her. I don't respect her. I don't think they'll respect me. So some of it's just boundaries, right? Boundaries between you and these people. Boundaries for your kids, and understanding. There's things that maybe you feel can't be undone, and then there's a lot that could be undone, especially as they get older. I think people could hear this conversation and say, boy, you're a bunch of defensive, <laughs> scared, angry folk. Um, yeah. Yeah, in a lot of ways, I, I, I'm, it's fair to, to own that and say yes, and I, I, don't know, I don't think any of us want to stay here. And we may be overreacting. I mean, there is... There is a plausible conversation to have with our kid and just trust that we can put asbestos suits on them and they can be exposed to that. We may be overreacting to this, but there's a reason. We're not, mm-hmm. there's a reason we're overreacting. I, I, the, the last time uh, that my son spent time with my parents and they're very dear to me, my dad not only talked theology and politics, my dad also took 30 minutes to have um, a conversation about how concerned he was about me to my son so now all of a sudden this gets into family dynamics of boundaries for, yeah. where a son has to say grandpa come on now mm-hmm. um, and, and it, was a, it was a good conversation yeah I think you advocate for your kids and you advocate for your own self and your own family and maybe more importantly just be sure that those Sunday school teachers and your parents aren't the only ones doing spiritual work with your kids sure good. I was going to say, um, my dad does not respect my views. He flat out thinks that I'm, you know, whatever. Um, 
and he's nice as can be to my face, considering. <laughs> but I know that he's going to expose my daughter to things that I don't agree with. And so we just say, hey, Grandpa's going to say things, <laughs> and this is what we believe, and this is what we think, and this is how we treat people. Um, and so just know when you hear him that that's not what mom and dad think. Um, and then we also, um, like my mom, when she was alive, she couldn't be trusted with my kid. So my kid did not go stay with my mom. Like she just didn't. And I don't trust my dad out of state with my daughter. And so she does not go visit him without me. Like not anymore. I just don't which is hard and it's sad and my parents don't like it but my kid is my priority yeah and that's okay so i uh didn't go to church growing up this is the first church i've ever belonged to and so i don't have the basis of oh and also most of the adults that i know who do go to church um have some brokenness from churches in their past so it's one of the things that I'm struggling with, and more as we keep talking, is what is the spiritual work to be doing with my kids? Yep. I have a one and a four-year-old, so I'm early in the game here. Um, but also, like, my four-year-old doesn't really tell me what you guys talk about in Sunday school, so it doesn't open up a conversation. Yeah. Yep. All right. So I have a few things. Um, so with May... Um, again, kids from their earliest, from birth, children are processing their relationship with their safe adults um, by how they're responded to. When they are hungry, they are fed. Um, when they fall down, they're picked back up, all those things. Um, and that then directly influences psychology, childhood development all affirms this. All of that directly influences what they think about God. They they derive their understanding of the divine from their relationships with their parents um, and from other safe adults in their, um, in their life. So I would say for your one-year-old, the spiritual work to do with her is what you're doing. Be a loving mother. That's, that's enough. Um, I think for Anna, if you're wanting to ask Anna specific things, um, I do post for ev this for everyone. Um, all of our lessons for our kids are posted on our Grace Point Kids Facebook group. It's a closed group, so if you're not in it, just send a request for it and I'll add you. Um, but I post the lessons every week, so you could always look at that and ask questions um, out of that. But I, I'll say this, if you and Chris are doing spiritual work in your home and you're talking about it and that's an open conversation, she'll start asking questions. And she just may not be right now and that's okay, um, but she will. Because also, as we know, we are, we are innately spiritual. We innately assume that there is something out there. Um, and so she will tap into that innateness if y'all are doing that work yourself. Um, she'll pick up on that conversation and yep. she'll join it. But for now, I think your job is to just be a loving mother so that they understand God as love. I think it's important to say in this, lest it, lest it all sound too nebulous, we are... A progressive Christian church labels are limiting but they're also illustrative and so you you endure the limitations of labels and you try to maximize how they're illustrative and indicative 
what does it mean that we're a progressive Christian church? Well, across the street, our friends are a Baptist Christian church. This is a Methodist Christian church. There are Nazarene Christian churches. The adjectives are necessary because people have felt that Christian is too broad of a term. So when you say that you are a this, you use a superlative, a this kind of Christian, you are saying we have these distinctives. I have sat in classes about Wesleyan Christianity and these are the Wesleyan distinctives. There are Baptist distinctives, right? There are Baptist distinctives. There are free will Baptist distinctives that are different than Southern Baptist distinctives. What does it mean to be a progressive Christian church? To be a Christian church, we do teach things about God, Jesus, salvation, the Bible, Sin, the church, humanity, the cosmos. We have theologies. As a Christian church, those are things that we concern ourselves with, and we have ideas about those things. As a progressive Christian church, we have distinctives about those ideas, but even more, the progressive part is less propositional and more attitudinal. And our attitude is that we value accuracy, certainty, and doctrinal acuity less than we value virtues like honesty, courage, curiosity, inquiry, gratitude, humility, and love. That's why when we've been talking about the five tenets of, of our church, if you think about those things, radical inclusivity, inherent union, mind is friend, eternal life now, so many of those things aren't, they're semi-propositional, but they're also very much attitudinal. We really, um, progressive spirituality, whether it's progressive Christianity or not, I, I feel a lot of kinship with progressive liberal Jews. I feel a lot of kinship with progressive liberal Muslims. I at times feel more kinship with a progressive liberal Jew than I do a conservative Christian. So there's a lot in this nominative called progressive, but it's attitudinal. It's the way we approach. That's why we say, are we going to teach about God, Jesus? Absolutely. Are those things going to have a more liberal flair? Yes, because that's our conviction. But even underneath that, we picked up a long time ago on that, that uh, famous aphorism out of Proverbs, train up a child in the way they should go. It struck us that that text does not say train up a child in the place they should be. That was what Justin was intuiting a while ago. I have a son, this may not be my position, but can I allow for magical thinking in the life of a child? This is the same time he's believing in Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and, you know, bed knobs and broomsticks. Do I want to teach him a method of inquiry more than I want to give him the answer in the back of the book. We are more concerned about training children in the way they do it than giving them the final answer. Because progressiveness says we really don't ultimately value the final answer as much as we value the unfolding mystery. So you know, we, I don't want it to be so nebulous. It's like we don't concern ourselves with these ideas. We do, but the way we concern ourselves with them uh, is more about curiosity and inquiry than it is fixing an orthodoxy. And I think that's really important. And we try to do that. We do that even more. Anna's birth through fifth grade. Justin and the people that work with the senior high kids probably 
tap into this reality even more than we do in children. But we're trying to lay this foundation yes. with the children even. So you brought up the virtues. It's, it's easy to teach my kid about virtues when she's behaving in a way that doesn't meet my skin crawl. <laughs> yeah. Um, or, you know, when we're laying in bed and, and having cuddle time. It is a different matter altogether on Monday morning when I'm trying to drag her out of bed and get her to put her clothes on and brush her teeth. And she is petting the cat. And she's not petting the cat because she's two and she's, petting, she's 10. Like, she should, by 10, have enough ability to walk from the kitchen to the bathroom, you know, without stopping. Um, and the other day, you know, she'd gotten in trouble and I went in the bathroom and she's sitting on the sofa or on the toilet and she's crying and she says, mom, you always tell me how I'm perfect just the way God made me. And then you scold me. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yes. Okay. I don't know how to teach her humility and, and teach her how to do the right, using the word, the right thing, like, but to teach her to live virtuously in those moments, to live in her belovedness in those, to live in my belovedness in those moments. It's like, I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe my kid's the only one that's like that. Huh? No, <laughs> we've all got that. That was sarcastic. <laughs> I'll just respond just out of a personal example, but for Hutch and Haven, part of my approach to them, whenever they've done something wrong or messed up or you know, upsetting me, annoying me for all these things, it's been a big shift in our thought and in the words that we use versus saying um, you're wrong to that is wrong and this is not who we are. Because I was told, oh no, this is who you are. You're a yeah. sinner, you're unworthy, all these things. But I'm now looking at my child saying, this is below us. Like, this is not who we are. So let's talk about that for a second. So I'm affirming their inherent union with the divine. I'm affirming their belovedness and their worth. But I'm also saying this is not acceptable. There are boundaries that we need to set in place um, so you can understand that. So that's part of what I've done with them that's been helpful. Now, they continue to make mistakes, obviously, and they will, as we all do. But that's been a huge shift just in the language that I use and how I talk to them. It's funny, on that note, I was camping with my dad and my kids this weekend, and when you have an authoritarian dominion God, you parent like an authoritarian dominion parent. And my dad raised me saying, you're gonna do that because I said so. And you learn like that's the right reason. And, and I, it kind of struck me this weekend watching my kids run around this campground, that because I said so really is never an okay thing to say to your kid for any reason. Because if, you, because if you don't have a reason for them to do what they shouldn't be doing, you shouldn't tell them not to do it. Because you realize you're telling them not to do it because they're annoying you, or because you, or for whatever reason, like you're saying. But the interesting thing that my dad and I puzzled out with what you talked about, how kids model God, if I'm telling you to do something because I told you to do something, they're gonna model God the same way, and that's the conversation we had there. And that was part of the, you know, it doesn't always work that way with my seven-year-olds, but there have been times that I've said, don't do this, don't do this, and they're in the space that your ch child is in, 
And I realized I didn't really have a reason to tell you to, not to do that. And I had to back off of it. And that's been part of that, for whatever that's worth. And that whole, because I told you so, takes the onus off them. It takes the onus of their action, the responsibility of their action off of them. Because I told you so. Like, if that's how yeah. God operates, right, then you do things because God told you so, not because you're responsible to it. And I think, like, thinking about Lucy, like, I, I would, I think I would want to say to her, oh, you, you are beautiful and beloved just the way you are. It just is that you're responsible to that now. You don't, it doesn't mean that whatever you do is fine and good. It means that you're responsible to that goodness that's in you. You're responsible to act out of that. And that's not, that just doesn't seem to be what I'm seeing right now. We have a question from Elizabeth online. Oh, great. Hi, Elizabeth. And she asks, what age do lessons begin here? Three or four years? Oh, yeah. Great question. Um, our lessons technically start with our preschoolers, which is three and four-year-olds. Um, they have a very abbreviated lesson, though, because they are still very much learning by interacting with one another. Um, and they... and they tend to not do as well with a lot of transition, which is what a lot of lessons entail, is going from this activity to the story, to the snack, to this activity. So their lessons are really abbreviated. Um, we do like a story and activity and a snack, and then they, the rest of their time is play because cognitively that is how they are learning at that stage of life. They're learning by interacting with one another. They're learning how to share. They're learning these values, these honesty and sharing, all these sweet, sweet values that we want them to um, obtain from their time here. They're learning that so much at that stage by just interacting with one another. So, but that's when they start and go all the way up, obviously for us through fifth grade and then middle school and high school have their own, own deal, so. Parents have a right in the educational system to look at the school system and say, by the time my child leaves fifth grade, they should know this. And there's standardized testing that makes sure at the end of the year that kids are on track with mathematics and history and science. If I, as a parent, ask you, my child, my child is going to move from birth to fifth grade here, and they're in your care. When they leave your care here, and certainly you don't have as much time with them as you know the school system when they leave your time here what will they know from us <laughs> well I think I want at a very base level before I even get to any sort of like theological takeaway I want them at a very base level so I, I mentioned earlier that I grew up in the church and loved the church despite despite the theology, that sounds terrible. But even though theologically I don't necessarily align with Southern Baptists anymore, I still walked away from that experience loving spiritual community. And that's, that is one main takeaway here, yeah. is that I want your kids to actually experience this as good. This, right here. I want them to experience this as good. It's why, if you've ever heard me talk to your kid on the way out, I'm not asking them, what'd you learn today? Do, what's, your, what's the quote for the day, or what's the Bible verse for the day, or whatever. I'm not asking them that. I'm asking, did you have fun today? And I want them to say yes, and if they didn't, I'm going to be really sad and disappointed. <laughs> and they're going to be sad and disappointed too. Because if they're not, if they aren't having fun, if they are not enjoying their time here, guess what they're also not doing? They're not engaging in the content of what's happening back so there good. either. Um, period. They, they won't engage it. 
um, if, if they're not having fun. So my, my number one priority is that they actually enjoy their time here because that's then going to help them. That's then going to foster a lifetime of loving spiritual community no matter where they find themselves theologically. So good. Um, yeah, and obviously I want, them, I want them to walk away having a healthy or at least a, a positive, some understanding of God, whatever that might be for a fifth grader, which is, might differ based on who you ask, but I want them to sense that God is love and that God is in them and then all around us and all people. Okay, I'm going to keep coming to uh, church here. Oh, great. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Good. Uh, who else? Yes, Miss Kate. Um, so I don't have kids, but I teach in the second and third grade class. Uh, and when I think about what I'm teaching as compared to the kind of Sunday school that I attended as a, as a kid, you know, it was, what I attended was a lot of Bible stories. You know, we, we learned these simplified Jonah and the whale and Danny in the lion's den. Um, and that's not really a part of our curriculums here. Um, and so I just wondered if you'd share a little bit into the intentionality of that choice and also, I'm curious about thoughts of like when that biblical literacy does come and should come, and whether that's even as important as my parents thought it was. Yeah, thank you. I was hoping somebody would ask about the Bible. Uh, okay, all right. So let me say let me say this to start out: the Bible is not a children's book. <laughs> okay, as much as I think as much as the church has wanted it to be, it's not. Um, that said, that is not to say that there are not biblical narratives and stories that are beautiful and helpful for kids. It just happens to be that that's not the only source for beautiful and helpful story. So um, I one of the main that's the main reason that I don't use a lot of Bible story. I use some Bible story when it's helpful. Um, but I'm not about to try to heap the burden onto our kids of having to process metaphor when actually cognitively they're not developmentally able to do that. Um, and also, here's the thing about kids, too, is that kids up to a certain age have a lot of difficulty um, separating out fantasy and reality, right? It's why Disney World is a thing. <laughs> it's why that works. It's why a kid can see five... Yeah, it's why a kid can see five... I just didn't want to mm -hmm. ruin this. Yep. Uh, it's why they can see multiple individuals that look the same, but they're all the real one. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because fantasy and reality are, are not differentiated in a child's mind. And so when we read a story... Um, when we, if we try to tell them Noah's story... Pretty much no matter what children's Bible you get your hands on, they're all going to say, God flooded the earth. You know what that means to a kid? God did that. God actually did that. There's some being out there that flooded the earth, and you know what the result of that is? A bunch of people died. Not just a bunch of people, but Stan Jr., the first time we read that... Yes was lying beside me and I'm doing the dutiful thing of going through the Bible for biblical literacy and this little six-year-old hears that and he sits straight up in bed 
and said, even the babies? Right. So to show how oblivious we are, we have taken the, the one story that we have decorated our nurseries with is which? Noah's Ark. Because Noah's animals. We decorate our nurseries with Noah's Ark, and yet the story is actually the reprehensible story of a complete genocide, including an infanticide of every baby that lived on the earth. Yes. Come on now. Yes. This is a complex book. Yep. It's a complex book. Oh, and it's so, it's beautiful, and it's so multi-layered and multifaceted, and that is fine for someone who's cognitively able to process through all that. It's just that most of our kids aren't actually there developmentally, and it's not fair to expect them to be. So, uh, that said, uh, you know, we, we're, this month we're talking about community, the concept of community, and the first week, I introduced that by talking about the church in Acts. Because they helped one another. They gave one another their things. They shared their belongings. There's these basic concepts that are still there. And I did that with second through fifth graders. Um, because at that point, they're, they're getting to a place where, where things like that can kind of make more Did sense you skip the part where Ananias and Sapphira lied about how much money they gave and God killed them in I, the church? I did. I did. We, just, we read a couple of verses. And it was just we're, we're not, we're not joking. We're just showing no, what a it, nuanced... that's the thing. Yes. So... Um, so back to my children's librarian situation, um, I decided, oh, maybe I should start using stories that are actually made for kids that still communicate the same concepts. They may not have the God language, but we can give them that. That's okay. We can give them some spiritual language. Jesus did. Yeah. To pat around that. Absolutely. But, and the thing about children's stories is that children's stories the reason they're so great is because they are written with kids in mind. Therefore, it affirms their real lived experiences. Children's stories talk about being in school. They talk about sharing your toys. They talk about animals, which kids love, except they're not animals that get into a boat that ends up being saved by a flood that God sent that killed all the babies. You know what I mean? Like it's, it still does all the beautiful work and reaches them where they are instead of, instead of, Either me trying to dig through a biblical story to try to get to what I want to say or expecting my volunteers to do that because I don't. And, and it's not that I don't think they're capable. It's that I would never expect them to try to reframe this really complex biblical story in a way that made sense for our kids. That's not, that's not fair to ask them either. We don't feel the onus of biblical literacy because, frankly, we do not believe the Bible is the word of God. We believe the Bible is the spiritual travel diary of our religious ancestors and the Word of God can come through it when we read it properly. It is sacred literature to that degree. But those, we're very unabashed in saying things because it's that overarching lens that she then is working through to this end. And we don't feel guilt. We don't feel the onus here. Do we love the book? Yes. Do we recognize how complex the spiritual travel diary of our ancestors is? Yes. It brings us into the right conversations. It's not a constitutional end. It's an invitational beginning that not only scandalized my six-year-old when he heard the story, it still scandalizes me. And I'm still developing nuanced ways of interpreting and hearing the word of the Lord through it. Yeah, yeah I just happen to think they can also hear the word of the Lord through Absolutely. these beautiful picture books back here. Maybe better. <laughs> Maybe better. Probably better. Sure. Because they're actually, they take kids into account when they're put together. Mm-hmm. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am, Miss Heather. 
Yes, for yeah, that. Because we're taking a video and they can't hear. Even if you yell really loud, they can't really hear you. Okay, my daughter's grown, which I find a great blessing in me trying to deconstruct myself. But you don't know this, Anna, but I've gone back to teaching again. I said I was leaving it. Good and for you. I went back. But I taught in a very conservative Christian school for 15 years, preschool. And probably the last two years, I've been, you know, on this little journey and cutting out Bible stories all over the place because I no longer want to teach them and trying to figure out better ways to do this. And uh, early on, I substituted a lot of love teaching in, you know, mm -hmm. if a child hits their friend, you pull them up and, you know, you know, if we love each other, we won't hurt each other. And just everything was love. I took all the rules off the wall and just put love. A friend loves all the time. And that was great. But now that I have left that very conservative place and I'm further on this journey, now I'm at a school where I'm in charge of the preschool department at a Christian school. Did any of you guys meet Angie Faye at the retreat Friday night? Angie is my boss at my new school. Do you know her? Yeah, and she's starting to come here a little bit, and so yes. she's got the same mindset as me, hmm. but I'm still in a place where maybe not everyone else has the mindset of me, and I now get to pick what I want to teach them for the Bible lesson, but I have no idea what I want to teach. I mean, we've been doing a lot of character training and other things, so... I probably need a good book list from you so that we can start doing that. Like I've got God in between and a few other books yes. and I'm trying to incorporate all of that, but it's a weird space to be in, to be in charge of several preschool rooms. And we, you know, Angie is so open-minded. I mean, she hires Muslims, you know, to teach in her school. So we have I a, did meet Angie. Yes, oh, we have a, a God philosophy and is a better approach for where we're at, but I find myself at night, like laying in bed, and my brain is spinning because, see, instead of really delving in, I'm almost backing off a little right now because I'm not sure how I want to do this, but I get to do this, so it's hmm. it's exciting at the it's same exciting. time. But I need to figure out the best way to do it because I've even got other religions for the teachers within the school, and so we're trying to work together. But even in the Muslim religion, they don't have a lot of good books, even from us, if they're more open-minded like we are, mm -hmm. they still don't have anything. So suggestions and um, maybe guidance in the future, too, because I, I, would love I think I need some help. I would love to sit down and talk to you about that. <laughs> Obviously, you're welcome to borrow any lessons or whatever, like if, if that's helpful. Um, I do have a, so we have some books up here, but I have a whole list. Um, I used a website called Library Thing. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Anyway, you can make books. It's kind of like Goodreads. It's a knockoff version of Goodreads, basically. But anyway, I have a whole list of books, um, picture books, and then just fun children's literature, too. Um, parent books, all divided up, whether or not they're theologically specific or whatever. Um, so if anybody wants access to that, I'll repost that link tonight um, so you all have that list. But there's, there is stuff out there. It's just not plentiful, <laughs> but we're, we're getting there, I think. But anything by 
Sandy Eisenberg Sasso. Mm -hmm. Literally anything is beautiful. Um, Wayne Dyer also has several books. Uh, one called I Am. I've lent it out, but ugh. oh, we read. Were you at the training? Yeah, we read that at training. Bye, Michelle. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. So there's stuff out there. So I have a list. I'll post it. I'd also just love to talk to you on the side. That's fun. Well. Anybody else? It's 10 till 8. We can go till 8 or we can say, okay, we're satisfied. You can ask another question. There's no limit. While she's bringing the microphone up, who helps volunteer with Anna in the back? Would you raise your hand? We are so grateful yes. for you all. Just yes. please know that, not just as a parent, but as thank another you. leader here. We are so thankful that you choose to serve. Truly. So officially, thank you. And there are several who've, Michelle. Yeah. Okay, yes. All right, so Lucy has identified herself as bisexual. Yeah. Which I'm really thankful that um, I came to the place that I am before that happened. <laughs> um, I know that her friend's parents do not view that the same way. And I know that, um, because I've heard it, I've heard her friends say, well, that's a sin, you're going to hell mm -hmm. for that. Mm -hmm. You know, mom, my mom says that that's bad, that that's wrong. Um, and at times when they have been that assertive toward her, I've been fairly assertive to stop and say, no, yeah. we're not gonna say that. Yeah. And I have ways that I deal with, you know, I don't want to teach someone else's kids mm -hmm. spiritual lessons that I know their parents don't agree with. But at the same time, <laughs> as a loving friend parent, I want to love them and their belovedness. And I have ways that I deal with that, but I was wondering if anybody else has any thoughts or can speak to that. Or have you talked to the parents of these other kids? Some of them, like when Lucy decided that she liked girls, uh, I actually had a friend's parent call me and say, hey, um, mm. this is the conversation she was having on the playground. And I said, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> she said, oh, I said, yeah, we know. We're okay with it. Um, she, mom just was like, oh, uh -huh. okay. Um, and like I've invited a friend of hers and her mom to come to church with us. And so like they know what we believe. And, um, but that's about the extent of it. If I were a person of color and children were affronting my child based upon the color of their skin, I would talk to their parents. And if that wasn't corrected, I would draw a boundary and not subject my child to those relationships. And I think this this is now falling into that same mm -hmm. category. I mean, you go to the nth degree to try to keep that from happening, but um, that's abusive, and it's unfair, and it's a very difficult situation. And even within the community now, there's still sensitivities to all of this. Um, when someone, I had a parent the other day say in a group just like this uh, my child is identified as bisexual and this child was 11 and immediately fully inclusive people um, even um, LGBT people said well it's probably too early for him I'm like is it too early for them to say they're heterosexual I knew when I was in first grade Regina Davis looked good to me 
Age five. So we don't have any <laughs> bias against a child saying they're heterosexual when they're younger. So even we sometimes are inconsistent um, in the way that we approach this. So I'm glad the way you're approaching Lucy. And I think you have the right, just like a person of color would have the right, to expect that decency and dignity from those that she's subjected to. I think that conversation the conversation looks a lot like what we were talking about with parents and grandparents. I think it's the same principle yeah. in a lot of ways. Joel? Thanks, Alexa, for <laughs> running around. Um, as a parent of kids who've, who've been through that, um, one of the things that I love is being a teacher and working with you is being able to look at kids and say, no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, God loves you. Mm. <laughs> and I, I'm not a great teacher. Um, I just have a lot of fun with the kids. So when you said, just have fun with the kids, like, I can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how much this lesson we're going to get through because we're going to goof off a lot. Um, but it's one of the things we try to do, you know, is just let them know how much they're loved. And, yeah. and as having sons who've been through not sure who they were and struggling with that, I think that's, that's the most important thing is yeah. no matter what people say to them, regardless whether it's their sexuality, whatever, is that they're beloved. And that's the message, I think, as a children's pastor that you've given us to give to those kids. It's so different. They're not going to get that many places. And if, if the kids can come out of here and, and hit their teen years huh. with that in their heads, that some goofy, bald guy like me is sitting back there going, you're beloved, yeah. and so am I. Yeah. And you know, you know, when you hit the teen years and, and people are telling you differently, this is what you heard all through... Yeah for your younger years, I think that's so powerful. Yes, that's fertile ground out of which a healthy spirituality right. can be developed, 100%. Yes, Mr. Nathan. So uh, my kids are very young. They're like not even 15 months yet. So when my parents came to visit uh, few, several months ago, they gave us a three-part volume set of James Dobson's Daring to Discipline uh, oh, yeah. stuff, which was how I was raised, but not necessarily how my wife was raised. And I was curious if there is a um, discipline philosophy that's different than mm -hmm. that, and maybe if there's some resources that you might be able to recommend on that. I don't know what James Dobson's disciplinary deal is, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Focus on the family founder. Thinking. Right, right, right. Um, I and I don't know the, I don't know personally of any, of any other resources. resources. But I think in the same way, um, I think for me with our kids here, um, I always want to encourage them at every age to varying degrees that they that they have a great responsibility in their belovedness and that is to actually live out of it. So like I was saying about Lucy earlier, um, sometimes we make poor choices, but we work really hard not to. Um, and when we do, we know, okay, I'll, I'll do better next time. Cause I, I have this, I have this great responsibility and a role. Kids love roles. Right, like in, in a class, if I have a kid who's upset about something or who might have some behavioral um, struggles, I like to give them a role. They love being helper, they love having responsibility. So I think to instill that in them early, um, again, to varying degrees, three-year-olds don't know what that means, right? But, but like Heather was saying, friends 
when, if we love each other, we don't hurt each other. And that's, that's this level of responsibility, right? You're, you're responsible to love, to this, to this ideal of love. And it plays out in, in a lot of different ways. It looks like certain things and it doesn't look like certain things. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's really It would probably be a good idea in our lexicon of offerings to our parents for us to ask like Bonnie Miller Mclemore, yeah, yeah. what is a good modern solid psycho-spiritual text on the discipline of a child. Because yeah. if you're asking about theories of corporal punishment and timeout and positive affirmation, um, those books do exist and we probably need to know what they are to recommend. So we have our ideas, the two of us that are parents, we have our ideas that we would share privately. That is an incendiary conversation even amongst progressives because when we start talking about the best way if mine is different than yours we get really touchy around our kids and well are you saying I'm doing mine wrong you know that kind of thing so I it's a touchy say, subject I will say that for me one example Haven was born she must have been old enough to annoy Hutch so he he hit her yeah he hit her I remember I think it was in the car and I turned around and I smacked his leg and I said we are not hitting we are not violent <laughs> And it was like, oh my God, wait, what? <laughs> you know, like it was finally this beautiful realization. Oh no, that's not what I'm going to do. That's not, that's not who I am and who we are. But that's how I grew up. Sure. It's like <laughs> Ernest the T. Bass on the, the Andy Griffith yeah. show when uh, Ernest T. was asked <laughs> right. by Andy, did your mother beat you? He said, oh yeah, she's wonderful. And a lot of us grew up with that. It was like a badge of, it was, a, it was really a badge of yeah. honor. And we get that, but we got that mail from our God. I'd say it's in, we just it was, the rod, spoil the child. I remember the preaching for a Pentecostal pastor in Oklahoma who uh, beat his wife Ooh. as corporal punishment. And when I confronted him on it, he said, think, think about the text of Scripture. He said, well, Ephesians 5 said to love your wife as Christ has loved the church. Hebrews 12 says those whom he loves, he chastens and he scourges. Put those two texts together. What do you do? That's the danger of literal biblical interpretation. So I think there's a better way, isn't there? Yeah. Even with our kids. I'm glad you asked that, though. Thank you. Yeah. That's work for me to do. It's good work. I could get really emotional here about thinking about our kids and how they're being raised here and what they're being exposed to versus what so many of us mm. were. And that idea of sinner and unworthy, they were not going to hear it from us. They may get it from school and from other family members and from other things, but they're going to hear from moment one, you are loved for who you are, and nothing will ever change that. Yep. Just let that wash over us, right? Good. And this girl, this human, right? <laughs> Y'all are all doing great. Keep letting your kids ask questions. Don't be afraid of their questions. Don't be afraid of needing the right answer either. Mm. They may just be looking for you to affirm their questions, to affirm that they're doing the work. And that's the most important because if we can nurture their spirituality and affirm it, then they'll continue doing that work. And to be able to say, I don't know. Yes. Oh, to be able to say, I don't know. That's a great question. Let's talk about that. Uh -huh. Yeah, I was about to say, and maybe follow up, I don't know, with what do you think? Right. <laughs> Ask them questions. They have important things to say to us. Mm. They really do.
one of the most important things that is at the foundation of our church and this is what she instills in our children for the first 2,000 years of Christianity we have taught that our children are born fallen and their sin separates them from God and our product is to reunite children with God we do not teach that we believe if there is a universal fall amongst humans it is not the fall into sin that causes separation if there is a fall it is that psychological malady that we have that makes us feel separated from God and that's called shame and we put no shame on our children we do not create that disease here we tell them they were born in union with God and nothing they could ever can change that what a wonderful gospel and truth that is and one more time I, I'm telling you we're really lucky to have Anna and I just want to say that